Changing the world of work isn't about tactics. It's not about meetings or metrics. It isn't about the benefits, perks, or opportunities. It's about being brave enough to put love first. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So as leaders, we're the ones who have to make it happen. This is the Love in Action Podcast. And here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome, Love in Action Nation. We can all agree that the world of work has been going through some extraordinary change over the years. And yet the practice of management has been stuck in time for half a century or longer. The new workforce wants their work to have deep mission and purpose, and they don't want old-style command and control bosses. They want coaches who inspire them, who communicate with them frequently and develop their strengths. So who is the most important person in your organization to make that happen? Well, the Gallup organization, they've known the answer to that question for decades. It's your managers. They are the ones who make or break your company's success. So with that understanding in mind, Gallup just released a book last month based on the largest study of its kind. 37.2 million people surveyed over 30 years, including interviews with top HR executives from 300 of the world's largest organizations. The result? It's a huge book. It's an incredibly monumental book. The kind of book that only comes around every 10, maybe 15 years. It's called, what else? It's The Manager. And it's written by Gallup Chairman and CEO, Jim Clifton, and Gallup's Chief Scientist for Workplace, Jim Harder. Well, I couldn't get both Jims on the show together. Trust me, I tried, but I did nab one of them. (laughs) Dr. Jim Harder joins us as Gallup's Chief Scientist, Workplace, Jim has led more than a thousand studies of workplace effectiveness and human performance. His bestsellers, you may recall, include 12, The Elements of Great Managing, and Well-Being, The Five Essential Elements. So let's dive in and learn from one of Gallup's true legends. So I'm here with Jim Harder. Jim, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Great to be with you, Marcel. Great. Thanks for having me. I uh, always start with the question that is more about you as a person and, uh, you know, kind of just helping our audience to get to know you a little bit better. What makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? Well, to me, it's if I'm looking forward to something, if I got something on my agenda that I'm really looking forward to getting absorbed in, you know, whether that's work or otherwise, just something I'm looking forward to getting really involved in that day. Yeah, good. Well, you're in Omaha now. That's home base for you. So you're just kind of relaxing, uh, unwinding between trips, I'm sure, all over the country or the world. Well, uh, when I really get absorbed in work, I, uh, I've i got a home office I use, you know, when I do my writing and that sort of thing. And that comes in really handy. As long as I've been at Gallup and I've been there 34 years now, they've had flex time, which is kind of a new, now it's the most sought after benefit, but we've had it forever. And right. uh, the key is, you know, you get your work done the way that, that's right for you individually. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in Omaha today and it's beautiful weather, by the way. It's yeah. beautiful day outside. Well, good. So let's dive into this book that is getting quite the attention nowadays. It's the manager. I want to back up a little bit. What did Gallup set out to find out when you did what's called the largest global study of the future of work when you wrote this book? 
Yeah, so we've all seen kind of firsthand how the workplace is changing around us. Um, massive changes in diversity. We just talked about remote working. That's a big factor that's been on the rise. Uh, more matrix kind of work environments where people are working on multiple teams in a lot of cases. It depends on the industry a bit, but we see more of that. More, of course, digitization and uh, mobile technology, work and life are more blended now. And the new workforce is actually asking for something different than the traditional old workforce. So our goal is to figure out how you align a culture in an organization with this new workforce that's already here and asking for something different. Mm, can't wait to get into what that is. And we'll define that for our listeners. But I want to get into, you know, you are in the middle of so much data. So mm. when you sift through all the data, did anything just flow to the top that you can say, okay, that one really surprised me? Well, we've known for really decades that if you're in a managerial role, you've got more autonomy, you've got more choices you can make, you've probably reached some level of what you'd consider to be status. But what surprised me is that uh, managers' jobs are extremely complex, but they have more stress than the people they manage. So the risk of stress and burnout is higher among managers than the people they manage. So there's a lot coming at managers now, all these changes I just referred to. But I was surprised that they also have less clear expectations than the people they manage. So there's some kind of signals there that told me we got to rethink, you know, how we develop managers and how we support managers in their work because it's such an important, important position. We've known this for quite a while, but it's even more important now. Yeah. And so the middle manager is not going anywhere. And yet so many books are declaring the end of the middle manager, Jim. So why does your book maintain that managers are still the biggest factor in the success of a company? Well, the number one reason people leave organizations now is a lack of career development. And uh, one of the top reasons they join is a chance to develop and progress in an organization and do what they do best. Managers are in the best position to develop people. Someone has to own development, right? And I'd say historically managers haven't that role expectation maybe hasn't been as clear, but um, the manager is in the best position. They influence about 70% of the variance in team engagement. So if we just strip that out, we're leaving kind of people on their own. We could say, well, it's your job to develop yourself. Um, development happens between people in terms of work practice and through work, of course, but feedback is so essential. And managers are in the best position to give people continuous feedback. This new workforce doesn't want an annual review at the end of the year. Of course, that's important, but all the stuff that comes before it is even more important. And so those, those ongoing discussions are, are so critical without managers or team leaders, however you want to define that. We call them what they ought to be as our coaches. We ought to move from a culture of boss delegation to coach development. So our data would clearly indicate that it's still an incredibly important position and probably the most important position in organizations. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are so many outdated assumptions out there, Jim, about current management practices. Let's bring uh, people that may be stuck, stuck in 1999 up to speed. So how should organizations update these management practices for today's workforce? Well, for one thing, we've got to rethink, you know, aspirations toward management and and not necessarily think that becoming a manager is the automatic next step for everybody in their growth in an organization. Not everybody's fit for that role. Uh, that's one thing. We've got to kind of rethink the culture of that. You know, how, how do we maintain a culture, build a culture where individual contributors can reach high levels of growth and esteem and status without having to manage people and in many cases, 
ruining their own lives and ruining the people around them's lives because it just doesn't work work out. That's one. I think another one is how we approach development. Um, we can't just assume that we apply the same steps and programs to every person and expect them to develop in the same way. So the starting point is really important. And that means we've got to start with a really clear understanding of each person's strengths. They've got to own those strengths. The manager's got to know those strengths. And then we build from the strengths to the development and the outcomes, as opposed to assuming everybody's going to get there in the same way. Now, that fact we've known for quite some time, uh, but it still isn't being practiced at the level that it should be. So we've had to really work on what are the right tools and processes for, you know, and then curriculum to get people there. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, I want to backtrack a little bit to Mm -hmm. culture. You know, Peter Drucker is famous for the quote, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So let's talk a little bit about the building blocks of culture. I mean, how do you build that? Well, it it does have to start with uh, the executive team. So they've got to know what their purpose in their brand intentions are. So what do you, how do you want your brand represented? What is your purpose as an organization? And then what kind of culture will support that? So you got to really articulate that and make it clear. And it can't just be some list of, uh, you know, 15 aspirations on a wall. Right. It's got to be something that resonates with every employee and that they, that they can remember. And then once you identify the culture you want, let's say you want a culture of agility, then you've got to take a step back and think about, How is this reflected in each stage of the life cycle an employee goes through, the experience that they go through? Is that reflected and is it reinforced? Mm -hmm. So only about one in 10 people say the onboarding programs in their organization are doing a great job. So right there from the get-go, we've got to rethink how we do onboarding and and set people up so that they know what the culture is about and that it's real and it resonates. Leaders, if they want to change, everybody we talk to wants to change the culture. If they want to change the culture, it starts with it being authentic with them. And when it's authentic with them, they start building a reputation. Leaders, if they're, they're managing a, you know, a large organization of thousands of people, sociological research would indicate that they can't build really close trusting relationships with all those people at once, right? The reputation spreads through their direct connections, which then spread through their direct connections and so on. So leaders' reputations start with what they do and what they're seen as. Let's say they want to build a culture of diversity and inclusion, you know, of of belonging and inclusion. They can't just laugh things off. They've got to actually stand up for the behaviors they expect. It starts Mm -hmm. there, but then it gets integrated through managers, right? So those, those next connections are without the managers, they could have a very authentic culture they're trying to build, but those managers won't take and spread those at a local level and interpret the culture in the eyes of the employees, kind of filter that information. So trust happens in channels just like engagement does. Hmm. So I want to talk about this. This may be a chicken or the egg scenario because we, you said it and I've, I've said it from speaking stages that career development is attractive on the front end for people to come to a company. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the ways to engage the employee. But you said this, that Gallup found that the new workforce no longer is interested in, quote, climbing the corporate ladder. So unpack that for us. I mean, why, what do they want now? It's not climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, well, the first criteria, as you mentioned, that people are looking for is a chance to develop. So they want to see where they could be in the organization in the future. Um, And so development is primary. Now, for some people, that might mean, you know, moving into management roles, 
because that might be their aspiration. For other people, it might be developing deep expertise in sort of a lattice format, not just ladder, but lattice. So they're going infinitely in whatever direction suits them and helps the organization improve. And so if you, if we start with an individual perspective where each person has different strengths and they may bring different value, they can develop within the context of who they are and what the organization is trying to get done in an effective way. And that sounds complicated, but it's not that complicated if we channel it through the manager because the manager is going to be getting to know those people if they're doing their jobs right. They're going to be having those conversations and uh, getting to know each person and how they develop effectively. It also uh, interestingly affects how people interpret their pay. So if we think about pay in the context and status in the context of development, so if if, if people are getting raises that are consistent with how they're developing, in an authentic way, then it doesn't become a political game, you know, where the slacker plays office politics and and moves up and it hurts the credibility of everything. I'd say that it starts with setting clear expectations, you know, that align with the individual strengths, those ongoing conversations so people get continuous feedback, and then an accountability system so that people can get rewarded when they do great things and get reinforced when they do great things. The, the, the highest performers want accountability. They don't want to just kind of everybody fly by the seat of their pants sort of thing. Right, right. Okay, so it starts with strengths and you you build the case for development, employee development, professional development around those strengths, which then naturally engages people according to their natural design. Yeah, Yeah. and I I think uh, to do it right, you've got to have role models and stars that are out there that you point to and help people see. You could be like, you know, help them connect with somebody who's achieved a lot, maybe even an individual contributor role, right? They've achieved great things and you've got these these role models or stars you can point to and say, this this is where you can be in the future. Unfortunately, 90% of the people who leave change jobs change companies right now. People are just not seeing that. It's a huge opportunity for organizations, not just to lay out the steps you could go through, but to, to help people see examples of what they could be in the organization. Yeah. So let's uh, transition a little bit to uh, remote workforces. You started the conversation that, you know, working remotely from Omaha today, and we're in this gig economy and companies are increasingly offering these remote work options, these flex options for their employees. But it creates a problem because they're isolated. They're not physically present. They're not connecting to other human beings or even their managers in person. So Mm -hmm. if I'm listening right now, how do I engage my remote workforce? How do I empower them and help them grow? Yeah, I'd say the first thing is to know that, you know, foundationally, whether you're remote or not, we, we all have a lot of the same basic human needs at work. We need to know what's expected of us. We need to have the materials to do our work. I think organizations with remote workers are getting really good at, at pre-planning for those two things. They're setting clear expectations, priorities, getting people the equipment, maybe it comes in a box, maybe they get a voucher, but they're able to get that figured out. But what's at risk in a remote setting is the social piece. And so the the best managers, and we've seen this in the data, that the best managers have to be very intentional with remote workers about how they connect not only with them, but also connect them with their colleagues. So they've got creative strategies about how they bring teams together so that people have a chance to connect with one another. In some cases, it may not even be about work. You know, A basic human need is to belong, to feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. And so uh, remote working managers need to be very intentional about that belonging piece. Of course, paying attention to all the other parts as well that people feel cared about, that they feel they can see how their work connects to something bigger, but then also how they can get to know their coworkers and still have chances to, to learn and grow. A lot of the same principles apply. It's just how you address them 
in a remote setting? Yeah. So if I'm putting that up against the Q12, then it's basically addressing the question, do you have a best friend at work and setting the environment yeah. for that to happen, right? Yeah. That's a big one that we see that is by default lower among remote workers, but it doesn't have to be that way. We've seen remote teams where it's extremely high. So it's how you develop a strategy around that. Yeah. So the book explores seven expectations that are necessary for success in any employee role. Can you uncover them? Yeah, so we reviewed, um, boy, a lot of data, about uh, data from about 14 million employees, 2,000 organizations, about 560 different job studies, and we found there were seven uh, expectations, or you could call them competencies, that uh, apply across roles, and they range from building relationships to creating accountability. I'll just kind of list them off for you. I think they're particularly important as work is changing through technology because these human expectations are going to be even more important. I think building relationships, developing people, leading change, inspiring others, thinking critically, communicating clearly, and uh, creating accountability. So we found if you know your strengths first, you can aim your strengths at each one of those seven in a very unique way, a way that's unique to you. And while people by default will be better and worse at some of those, yeah, they can get better at all of them. And I mentioned developing people is a primary responsibility of, of managers or team leaders, but everybody can get better at it. We can all be thinking about our coworkers and how we can give them meaningful feedback and know their strengths and develop them. Is there a, a ranking system where you can say one of these really is more important than the others? Well, we found they're all, we really condensed a bunch of job demands into these seven. So all of them are, are really important. We found uh, in terms of managing that that thinking critically one has been even more important over the years uh, because of all the information coming at people. Yeah. We've got you know a lot of data coming at us and we've got to kind of synthesize it and make decisions with it pretty quickly. So that one's important. Of course, building relationships is always central to that kind of dominates the statistical terms, the variance that we see in, in a lot of these other dimensions. So if you have good relationships and trust, then it, it opens the door for everything else to be much more functional. Yeah, let me piggyback on that, building relationships, because you know so much of what we know about good management centers around something as simple as just sitting down and talking with your employees. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned in the book, five conversations that managers can use with employees to specifically drive their performance. Can you give us some examples of those conversations? Yeah. Among the five, there are two of them at the beginning. I just put them at the beginning, but they're kind of, I think of them as slowdown conversations where you're taking some time to use your slow thinking system basically with the individual and reflect. Um, the first one is a role in relationship orientation. So you're getting to know the individual, getting to know their role, kind of setting the stage for how their role might evolve over time. And at the end, there's a progress review. Many of us think about that as the annual review. When you do the middle parts right, the three in the middle, then that progress review becomes much more functional, developmental, future-oriented. So the middle ones are more about quick connects. So I'm I'm connecting with you, basically helping you know you matter. I mean, that's kind of the, the outcome is um, I'm going to see if there's anything going on that I can help you with in a short time frame. That could be daily. It could be weekly. I would argue from our data, individuals need at least once a week meaningful conversations with their manager, team leader. But for some people, it's more than that. Uh, so it's it's an individual kind of thing, getting to know the person. There are check-ins that can be a little bit longer. It's about, you know, are there any barriers that are getting in the way of your work that I can help you with? Let's uh, You might notice something they did well and give them some recognition for it, but just to check in. 
And then there are developmental coaching conversations that should be happening continuously where, you know, those could last from 10 minutes to a half hour or more, but sometimes those are life-changing. So I noticed something you did well and I, I recognize you for it. Or since we've already built up some trust, I can also give you critical feedback and you're going to accept it. If I did that and we didn't have trust, then you'd probably reject it or it wouldn't feel too good. So the strategy is to get managers thinking about how they focus primarily on the strengths of the individual so that they build some trust and then they can offer those critical conversations that are many times developmental or recognition that can be developmental or here's what you could do in the future, developmental. And instead of the default kind of, of uh, I'm going to be an expert on your weaknesses and I'm going to, my job is to correct you all the time. So the conversations build trust. And so that's the goal. And, and trust is also much more likely to happen if you know the person first and their strengths. And so that's kind of a shortcut. The strengths piece is a shortcut to getting to know someone quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You've been studying employee engagement now for over 30 years, and yet companies all over are spending millions of dollars on employee engagement programs. Do they work? Well, it depends. <laughs> we know why the ones that work work, and we know why the ones that, that don't work don't. Um, I would say that the programs that start with primarily a survey and keep it very episodic, where it's like a once-a-year annual event, those don't work too well. You've got to have a high bar metric. That's important, of course, because you've got to have high aspirations. If you have a low bar metric, you're basically just studying whether people are content or not. It's got to be a continuous process where your engagement intentions are really a part of everything that you do from your learning and development curriculum to your performance management system. It's not a separate thing. When it doesn't work, it's just a separate kind of, by the way, I would say that almost all of them I've looked at are well-intended. So it's a matter of, of fine-tuning those good intentions into something that's more continuous. When we study great workplaces, just awarded last week, 40 of them, yeah. uh, where they move from you know an average of 42% engaged up to 70% in a pretty short period of time, they do some things in common um, that we've been able to study over the years. So there's kind of four patterns in these organizations that are exceptional in terms of creating growth on engagement. Um, one of them is it's part of their strategy as an organization. So they, they set a strategy that's clear and, and it's embedded in that, not something separate. Second, they have really good communication systems internally so people know what's happening and why and how, how engagement as a concept links to everything else that they're doing. They've got good developmental programs, continuous programs for managers with some base knowledge that they build on over time. Again, not just learning events, but continuous information they're, they're giving managers. Of course, they, they've got an accountability system as well where managers know it's part of their job. It's not like a nice to have. It's an actual expectation of their work to engage their workers. So there are some of these things that are common, and but I think they all kind of make it their own too. So there's their common patterns and then organizations kind of make it their own. But the key is that at a high level in the organization uh, with the executive team, they own it and it's a part of what they really value and believe in. And they, they know that they get the work done through managers. Yeah. You know, we focus so much on uh, engaging the employee and we, uh, you know, put it all on the manager's shoulders to make that happen. But we forget that managers also need to be engaged. Is there a difference between engaging an employee uh, on the front lines versus a middle manager? Or how does a, say, a director or a senior manager empower and engage their middle manager? 
Well, that cascade you just referred to is just essential to get right, because if we just kind of leave it with it's all on the managers, that's where you get this issue of, you know, they have higher stress than the people that they manage. And so they have to be coached just like we expect them to coach their employees. And so a lot of the concepts are similar uh, because we're still talking about human beings, you know, no matter what level you're at, you need to know what's expected. You need to do what you do best. You need to have what you need to do your work. Um, you need to get recognized when you do good work. You need to, everybody needs to, de- to develop. And so there are a lot of commonalities. I think uh, how people approach it can be very individualized though, in terms of how they get there and the situation that they're in, you know, and the type of company they're in, whether it's a matrixed organization or not can affect how you approach all those things. But the important point that senior managers need to be thinking about how they coach just as much as they expect their, their managers to coach. Yeah. Jim, let's talk a little bit about whether there are some traits that you would say, okay, these are non-negotiable. These are traits that managers need to have to create success in their companies. Do any of them really stand out for you that are non-negotiable? Well, if I think about traits from the perspective that, you know, these are changeable if I think about changeable traits. So in other words, uh, characteristics that managers need to have to become coaches instead of bosses, then they've got to be exceptional at setting expectations and involve people in setting those expectations. That's low hanging fruit that makes a huge difference, just involvement in setting goals. The ability to have those ongoing conversations that we referred to is an important uh, characteristic or competency to build over time. And then setting accountability that's developmental and future-oriented so that people can kind of see how they're doing over time is an important competency to develop. But um, there are also um, more innate traits that we found predict success. So if you're thinking about hiring analytics, there are ways you can measure these traits to to increase the probability you're going to hire people who just love to manage people and love the idiosyncrasies of people. And they don't see it as messy. They see it as something that excites them. We've seen some of those, like, you know, they they inspire their teams. They have a high level of motivation to inspire their teams. They have a work style where they set goals and arrange resources to get work done and for the team to excel. They have a high initiation in that they influence others to act. They push past obstacles um, and adversity. That's a big one. How do you get past obstacles come at all of us all the time? You can either say it's us versus them, or you can say this is why we're doing it, and this is where we're headed with this initiative. So that's a big one in terms of agility because you can either, depending on your traits, you can either slow things down or you can move things forward and get everybody behind it and encourage people to work together. Uh, even across teams, which is really important. So collaboration is the other one related to that. Uh, they build uh, committed teams that have really strong bonds with one another. And uh, that thought process component is an important uh, innate capability that we see where they take an analytical approach to their strategy and how they make decisions. And that's one I mentioned earlier is even more important nowadays because of all the information coming at us as we look at kind of how the profile has changed over time. Yeah, Jim, I want to ask a question that I ask of every uh, guest. This aligns with the theme of love and action or caring for your employee, which is really what we're talking about here when we're talking about coaching the employee is really you're going out to care enough to have these conversations and ask these questions to get the best out of their employee. And so the question is, a lot of organizations lead through fear. So you have managers that lead with the iron fist. Mm-hmm. Why would you say that that's the case? Why do so many managers lead that way rather than through principles of caring and empowerment? 
Well, you know, some of it has to do with just their own style of managing that they've seen other people use with them. So part of it just is a follow-up in terms of what they've experienced themselves, but they probably haven't taken a step back and actually thought about how that felt (laughs) and kind of thinking about how it actually feels for the other person to be managed through fear. So, you know, we've got kind of two parts of our brain. We've got the, the part that kind of works more instinctively and is narrow thinking and reactive. And we've got another part that is more kind of future oriented and thinks more broadly. And the reason that I think it's so important for managers to be developing is they think much bigger. If you're in a fight or flight state and you operate through fear, you're only thinking short term Hmm. um, and you're kind of protecting your own and your innovation is much less likely. If you're in a developmental state you're thinking much more broadly about how your work connects to other people's work. If you're a manager who's developing, you're helping your team think about how their work connects to other teams, which is a really big issue with organizations that are trying to be agile now. They've got these silos, you know, and a lot of these silos are operating in those fear states. Now, I'd argue that command and control management in some ways has worked, you know, historically because we've got, you know, all this infrastructure. It's led to to some great advancements, but it doesn't align with the new workforce at all. You know, where we, we kind of put up with it or dealt with it in the past, it's not where organizations need to be if they want to uh, hire the stars that are out there and if they want to build a culture that reflects, you know, what this new workforce wants. Hmm. So perhaps this is the million dollar question. And so if I'm a manager listening right now and I just needed that nudge, that starting point, what should I know is the single most important factor in building a successful team? Well, this relates back to what we talked about earlier. I think foundationally, the manager has to know their own strengths. And then you'd follow that up with they need to know the strengths of the people around them. That doesn't mean that all they do is, you know, is strengths. Of course, it gives you a foundation for actually fixing problems that might be on the team or in the organization. But it gives you a foundation where you've got a, a shortcut really, to get things done. So that'd be the first thing that I would say. Get to know your own strengths really well. And we've got tools now where you can do that. We've got a Clifton Strengths tool that 21 million people have used. So that's out there. It's it actually in, in our book in the back. There's a code for everybody to, to have that experience if they haven't. And so that's one of the foundations, I think, that gets kind of overlooked, or at least has historically. Yeah. So know your strengths and know your people's strengths. Mm-hmm. Jim, I want to wrap up this conversation with two questions. What would you most like business leaders at all levels to think and do differently after they read It's a Manager? Well, I would like them to think about, first, uh, the importance of moving from a culture of boss to coach. And everything else kind of connects back to that. So um, if you think rethink your entire employee experience, your manager experience, internally in your organization? And does it support or work against moving from a culture of boss to coach? And remember, coach includes accountability, um, includes ongoing conversations, includes clear expectations, goal setting, but it's a more developmental mentality than delegation, which is more traditional. Mm. Jim, I want to have you bring this conversation home your way and uh, you know, maybe with a final Jim Harder statement that hopefully is going to be buzzing in our ears for days or weeks to come. So what is that one thing you would 
like our listeners to absolutely walk away from today that's going to make a difference in their work lives? Well, globally, about 15%, we're operating at about 15% efficiency from a human standpoint in terms of the engagement levels of the globe. We can change that. And if we do, it'll make tremendous differences in so many different ways, not only performance, but in terms of improving people's lives. When people are engaged, they're twice as likely to be thriving in their overall lives. So the fact that work and life are even more blended now than ever before, I would like people to feel really inspired that we can change that. And we've seen some changes. We've seen organizations that have changed. The numbers have gone up globally and in the, in the U.S. as well. Not as fast as we want, but it can happen a lot faster if we are really intentional about changing our cultures from boss to coach. Um, we can change lives and performance at the same time. I think that's one of the great things about the research we've had a chance to get involved in over the last few decades is that we've learned that those two things can happen together. Well stated, Jim. He is Jim Harder, and the book is It's the Manager. It's a fascinating read that's going to keep you busy for a while. So, Jim, if uh, people want to get in touch with you or about your work, how will they do that? Well, we've got a, a Gallup has a website. It's Gallup, G-A-L-L-U-P dot com. And we have a continuous stream of articles, short articles, uh, position papers, perspectives that we're con- our team is continuously developing. And we post on that website. If anyone wants to email me, my email is Jim underscore harder at Gallup dot com. I'm always uh, open to having conversations about anything that we're working on. So uh, really appreciate everybody listening. Thanks for having me on, Marcel. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's great to have the person that's behind all of these studies and all of this data to join us. And it's kind of makes sense of some of the huge studies that have been, been putting out. So I appreciate you coming on the show. So when I come back, I will have my closing remarks. And I will do that after this short message. There's a dramatic shift taking place in workplaces around the world. It's a rapidly growing movement called the Humans First Club. Change is happening bigger and faster than any time in history. For business to flourish through this dynamic time, it's time to trash the old school command and control mindset and put people at the center of business. It's time to put humans first. Live events with the growing online community is driving change throughout the globe. It's time for your voice, your ideas for a brighter future. Join us now at humansfirst.club. That's humansfirst.club. Your time has come. You belong here. I got to say, after talking to Jim Harder, I'm surprised by a lot of things, but I'm not surprised by many of those things. See, when we have unhappy workers disengaged from their work and jobs, it's the manager, period. You see, leaders everywhere in the world have a tendency to name the wrong people as managers and then train them on administrative things, not how to maximize human potential. And the truth is, the practice of management has not evolved alongside the changing workplace. So heads of companies must get it through their heads once and for all that today's employees want career development and they want managers to take an active interest in that development so they can improve and grow as human beings. When you have great managers who can maximize the potential of every team member, you're going to see company profits grow and you will give every one of your employees what they want most today a great job, and a great life. This is the future of work. 
Thanks for joining us. And my special thanks again to Dr. Jim Harder. On behalf of my great team at One Stone Creative, I'm Marcel Schwantes, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.